Hello and welcome to Facing Race. I'm your host, Layla Schultz-Ames, and in today's episode, I'll be looking at anti-Semitism, intergenerational trauma, and the effect it has on future generations. Stay tuned. I chose the topic of intergenerational trauma, particularly as it relates to Jewish people, because even though it's not something I know a lot about, it's something I find really interesting and it's something I want to learn more about. It really makes sense if you think about it. If something traumatic, something really traumatic happens, of course it would affect other generations. And I I was thinking about the American Civil War because I've always been really, really interested in history and particularly in, in the Civil War. And I remember reading one time that the sons of Union Army soldiers who endured grueling conditions as prisoners of war were more likely to die young than the sons of soldiers who were not prisoners. And this is despite the fact that the sons were born after the war, so they couldn't have experienced its horrors personally. In other words, it seemed that the stresses of war were actually getting passed down between generations. And we know that obviously the conditions in prison of war camps were really, really bad. Uh, crowding was extreme. There's a ton of disease, diarrhea, scurvy, infection, etc. So we know that it was quite an intense time. And Basically, the idea was that the effect on mortality is working through epigenetics, or that would be the process by which genes are switched on and off. And these epigenetic changes are inherited by later generations, which sets diseases or problems in motion. Interestingly enough, that Civil War study, it showed that the sons could be protected from their father's trauma if their mothers had good nutrition while they were pregnant, which is something that's consistent with a lot of epigenetic research. Another example that I read about was the hunger winter studies in the Netherlands in in 1944 that showed that people conceived during a particularly brutal winter famine. Uh, Adults were eating, I think, about 400 to 800 calories per day were actually more likely to have heart disease as adults compared to those who were in the womb during a more prosperous time. There were also several several recent studies that looked at intergenerational trauma, particularly in regards to Holocaust survival survivors. And the conclusion from a research team at New York's Mount Sinai Hospital, it was a study led by Rachel Yahuda, where she basically looks at 32 Jewish men and women who had either been interned in the Nazi concentration camp or they witnessed or experienced some type of horror related to World War II and the Holocaust. They essentially, in the study, they analyzed the genes of their children who were also known to have had increased likelihood of stress disorders. And they compared the results with Jewish families who were living outside of Europe during the war. And Yehuda said that the gene changes in children could only be attributed to Holocaust exposure in the parents. So whether the gene in question is switched on or off could have a really big impact on how much stress hormone is made and how we essentially cope with stress. In other words, there definitely is, according to her study, there definitely is some link when it comes to people experiencing trauma and passing that on to their children and grandchildren. 
so it's it's a really interesting thing i think it's an opportunity to learn these studies you know really give us an opportunity to learn about these things and also sort of look at uh, intergenerational stress environment that type of thing so i i think even though the study is of course not a hundred percent proven it is a possibility and it's something that i know a lot of studies are currently right now focusing on this type of work uh, both with jewish people but also looking at uh, african-american trauma as well so it's a it's a very interesting thing to to analyze When we talk about trauma and we talk about intergenerational trauma and studies that are being done, particularly, again, with Jewish people and the Holocaust, I, I think it's also interesting and important, too, to look at the history of anti-Semitism and the history of trauma, because, of course, it's not just the Holocaust. It didn't just start with the Holocaust in the 1930s. It started way, 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 way before that. So I think that's also an important thing too is to analyze and look at sort of the history of anti-semitism because it's considered by many to be the oldest form of of hate the oldest form of of discrimination so i think looking looking back i think we could sort of start in the fourth century though you could argue that it even started before that when when Constantine the Great in the early part of the 14th century made Christianity the state religion of the Roman Empire and a lot of religious conformity was expected because government policies made it so where you essentially had to follow the church doctrine and some people wanted to convert all of the non-believers But a lot of the Jewish people, of course, they had their own religion and they did not want to become Christians. And the more the Jews remained true to their their faith, the harder some people worked to convert them. And when the Jews clung to their religion, a lot of distrust and anger started to grow. And the church demanded the conversion of the Jews because it basically insisted that, that Christianity was the only true religion in that area. So the power of the state was also used to make Jews outcasts at that time if they refused to give up their faith. And if they refused to do so, they were denied citizenship and any rights that came with it. By the end of the 4th century, Jews had essentially been stamped with what's considered one of the probably the most damaging myths that they could face, which is they were blamed for the death of Jesus. And as we know from history, while the actual crucifixion of Jesus was carried out by the Romans, the responsibility for the death of Jesus was placed on, on Jews. So then in other parts of Europe during the Middle Ages, which would have been from about 500 AD up to about 1450 uh, AD, all religious nonconformists were harshly treated by the authorities. Uh, Hearsay, which was, hearsay is essentially holding any opinion that's contrary to the, the church doctrine, was at the time a crime punishable by death. And Jewish people were seen as a threat to the established religion. So many of them were attacked, placed in jail, or or killed. 
Another law was the Justinian Code that was compiled by scholars for the Emperor Justinian in the 15 or actually I'm sorry in the 500s about 520 to 560 AD that essentially excluded Jews from all public places and it prohibited Jews from giving evidence in any type of lawsuits. It also forbade them from reading the Bible in Hebrew so only Greek and Latin were allowed at that time. And the church council also forbade marriage between Christians and Jews as well. And they even went so far as to outlaw the conversion of Christians to Judaism in in, the, in about 530. Then hundreds of years later, another a law that took place was uh, the fourth Lateran Council, which basically stamped Jews as as a people that were considered different or apart from everybody else. So as part of that, they had to wear special clothes and markings to distinguish them from non-Jews. So all of these laws were, were a big thing, uh, and a lot was happening in Europe at that time, particularly the Crusades. The Crusades began in Europe in 1096, and that resulted in additional persecution of Jews. Although it's true that a lot of anger originally in the Crusades was focused on Muslims who were controlling uh, Palestine at that time, some of the intense feelings were ultimately redirected towards European Jewish communities through through which the Crusades essentially passed. So you did see actually massacres of Jews occurring in many cities en route to Jerusalem. And in the first several months, in about six, the first six or seven months uh, in, in 1096 when the Crusades began, about one-third of the Jewish population in Germany and France, which would have been about 12,000 people at the time, were killed. And the persecutions of this this period caused many Jews to obviously leave Western Europe for a bit more safety in in Central and Eastern Europe. So lots of things were happening at that time, particularly in in Western Europe. Uh, Occupations or certain jobs that Jews could not have, for example, Jews could not become farmers because they were actually forbidden to own land. And gradually more and more jobs were closed to them. There were only really a few ways for Jews to make a living back then. Many Christians believed that lending money and charging interest on it was a sin. So Jews were able to actually take up that profession, working in in banks and lending money. And it was essentially a job that nobody else wanted. But because they filled this important need in managing money and finances, and of course the economy was changing at that time, their roles started to expand over years. And so a lot of Jewish money lenders became sort of the middleman, if you will, between wealthy land-owning class and the peasants. And it started to become quite a big, a big business. Uh, at that time, rulers also gave Jews an unpopular job of tax collecting, which caused a really a lot of deep hostility among some of these debt-ridden peasants. And in times of, of economic uncertainty, as you can imagine, the dislike of, uh, of Jews because they were collecting taxes and they were lending money, a lot of that was mixed with religious differences. And so Jewish communities really became the target of many attacks. 
So things things were bad and things actually continued to get worse in Europe. Uh, the Black Death or the bubonic plague also led to intense religious scapegoating in, in many communities in Western Europe. Between about 1348 and 1350, the plague killed one third of Europe's population at the time. And many people believe the plague was God's punishment uh, for their th- sins because we know that it was a very religious time. Uh, rumors, though, also spread that the plague was caused by the Jews who had allegedly poisoned wells and poisoned the food. So what followed was actually the worst massacre of Jews in Europe before Hitler's you know, rise to power and before the Holocaust. For about two years, there was this violent wave of attacks against Jews that basically spread all over Europe, and tens of thousands were killed by their terrified neighbors and by mobs of people. Even though, obviously, many Jewish people also died from the plague, but this did not stop people from carrying out uh, violence and attacks amongst many members of the Jewish communities. So with this, and then also continuing throughout the the Middle Ages, there's a lot of continued fear and suspicion that, that just caused a deep rift between a lot of Jews and Christians. And a lot of European people began to think of themselves as belonging to a nation, but they really saw Jews as being outsiders that were not part of uh, society. They're not part of, of different countries. So the Jews slowly started to be expelled from different countries in Europe. They're expelled from England in 1290, from France in 1306, and then also in 1394, and then from parts of Germany in, in the 4th century, or 14th and 15th century, rather. And it wasn't really until they weren't actually allowed back in in England until about the middle of the the 1600s and then in France it wasn't until the French Revolution so many years went by when Jews were just not at all wanted in Europe and I, I do want to say something about Spain since I, I do live here Unlike Jews in other parts of Western Europe, the Jews of Spain actually enjoyed a sort of golden age of political influence and religious tolerance from about the 11th century until the 14th century. But this came to an end in the wave of this sort of intense national excitement that really followed the Spanish conquest of Granada in 1492. And it was at that time that both Jews and Muslims were expelled from Spain. And the the unification of Spain was really aided by the Catholic Church, which, you know, through the Inquisition had insisted on a lot of religious conformity. So from 1478 to 1765, the church led all these inquisitions that basically resulted in burning of, of thousands of Jews at the stake for their religious beliefs. And it wasn't until the, the late 1800s where you know, anti-Semitisms had, anti-Semites had really considered Jews, you know, to be dangerous. So it wasn't until the, the late 1800s that things started to, to really shift. But uh, there was so much just anger and, and hatred and resentment that we, it wasn't until about 1873 that uh, we started to see things sort of 
turn around a little bit. However, that being said, it was also in the 1800s when Jews were thought of as a race for the first time. So being Jewish was not a question of belief, but it was a question of birth and blood. So Jews could not change if they were race. So they were basically, according to a lot of these theories that came about in the, the late 1800s, they were basically different from everybody else. And that was the single idea that really became the cornerstone of Nazi hatred and Nazi anti-Semitism. And so we know, of course, that ended up leading to, to all the horrors of the Holocaust. So there's really a long, long, long history and a lot went down uh, that really led to to all of the conflicts that, that we saw. So, But I think thinking about all of that, I think the big question then moving forward is what can be done to sort of curb, you know, this wave and we continue to see this, uh, these incidences and we continue to see anti-Semitism. And so the question is, what can we, what, what can we do about it? What is the answer? And I, I, I do think it's not unlike racism, where a lot of it comes down to education and the need to educate ourselves, educate others, our children, educate society. Because you know, I think about this issue particularly, and I'm someone who loves to read, and of course, having teachers as as parents, both of my parents were were teachers for many, many years, I thought I knew a lot about a lot of things, you know, related, especially to the Holocaust, related to anti-Semitism. And I have to say that I have really learned a lot more living in Europe because you really start to see things more firsthand and you start to experience history. Uh, a few years ago, I went to, to Berlin with my husband, and, and Tal's grandfather grew up in Berlin, and we had a chance to see the house he grew up in, and he he lived there until he was able to leave for, for America when he was a, a teenager in the 1930s. And of course, with everything happening to, to Jews in Germany during that time, we know that the rest of his family, his, his mother and sisters, did not survive the Holocaust. So, I mean, being there and seeing all of that and, and seeing his house and just learning about the history firsthand, you know, that's something that's that's really moving. And I I'll also always remember going to Poland several summers ago as well. We went to Wuchd and the Wuchd ghetto uh, to try and find information on Tal's grandmother. Her family was from Poland, and we, we didn't end up finding anything. But, you know, still just being there and walking around the ghetto, is, and you realize, wow, there's so much that happened here, and it wasn't even hundreds and hundreds of years ago. We're talking less than 100 years ago. So that type of stuff is, is really moving, and I think, of course, the biggest and most important and impactful moment was going to Auschwitz and walking around there and I think that and also going to the killing fields in Cambodia several years ago I think that's just those are things that just really stick with you and that really just there's no words to to describe how you feel when you're walking in an area where you know so many people have died and you know the history behind it and you, it's just extremely extremely powerful so I feel like these places are important for us to learn about history I think it's important for us to continue to learn what happens and what happened in the past so that we don't make the same mistakes 
So now it's time for our guest, Shelby. So Shelby and I met nine years ago when we were both teaching English in Shenzhen in China. And I'm really honored to call her one of my closest friends because she is amazing, fun, smart, funny, everything. And she's the one I always turn to whenever I need life advice. So I'm really excited to have her on the, the show today. So let's go to the phones and she, see what she has to say. Hello. Hi, Shelby. This is cool. Isn't it great? Welcome yeah. to Facing Race. Thank you for joining me. I'm Thank so, you for having me. I'm so excited. Okay, so first I thought maybe you could just introduce yourself and just say a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. Um, my name is Shelby. I currently live in the fabulous city of Brooklyn, New York. And I'm from Philadelphia. Uh, I spent time in Pittsburgh. I spent some time in Austin. I spent some time in China with Layla. Yay. Um, yay. But for the most part, I've spent most of my time on the East Coast here. And um, I have been an elementary school teacher for over 10 years now. So, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. So, okay. Yeah. One thing we're not going to talk about, Shelby, because I know you mentioned that you spent time in Pittsburgh. So we're not going to mention the schoolers <laughs> at all. For this whole interview, uh, but or the Patriots, please. You know what? We can mention it. <laughs> um, no, but what I'm really excited to talk to you about is because that in this episode I'm talking a lot about anti-Semitism and mm -hmm. I'm talking about intergenerational trauma. So I mm -hmm. really just wanted to mm -hmm. talk to you a little bit about sort of your thoughts and feelings, sure. particularly since we mm -hmm. are in a time where we're seeing a lot of things going on, really, yeah. uh, both in the U.S. and overseas. So I, I sort of just wanted to talk to you and sort of get your mm -hmm. take and your, mm -hmm. your opinion on, on some of the anti-Semitism that's going on and also just, cool. you know, everything in, in general. Okay, sure. Um, well, first of all, just to give the listeners like some idea, I'm Jewish. My parents are Jewish, my grandparents, everybody. Um, and I minored in Jewish studies at University of Pittsburgh. And um, I also currently work at a Jewish school. So I'm sort I've been surrounded by Judaism my whole life. So that's kind of where I'm coming mm -hmm. from. Um, yeah. Um, I went on the ADL website. Um, to look into like what is anti-semitism and they had a oh, really nice. good definition that I liked it it's they they said it's the continuance over millennia that speaks to the power of scapegoating a group that is defined as the other and I could not think mm. of a better way to describe that for Jews um anti-semitism for Jews goes back to biblical times and I think a lot of people forget that they think that you know it began it began and ended with the holocaust and it hasn't like this has been right. going on for thousands and thousands of years for Jews and I think you spoke about that in your podcast yeah. um and yeah and I think another thing that comes up a lot for Jews is Israel and Mm -hmm. And I know it's a really contested idea. Um, 
and it has been since it became a state in our country in 1948. And, and something that I, I see a lot is like on Facebook and my friends that I love will post, you know, anti-Israel messages. And it's really hurtful because in my opinion, I feel that that is a veil or a mask for anti-Semitism. It's a really easy way to hide your um, scapegoating of Jews is to say, well, you know, screw Israel. But I guess what I want to, when I have the opportunity, I like to share, like, why did, why is Israel what it is? Like, what is this thing that just showed up in, in 1948 and seemed to be very offensive and somewhat violent towards Palestinians? And what I try and share with people is that it became what it is because of the Holocaust, because after the Holocaust, mm-hmm. Jews that were in concentration camps, they, some of them went back to their homes in Poland, Hungary, wherever, and they were not welcomed back. They had nowhere to go. There were thousands and thousands of people like this. And, and the United Nations decided and, and, and also starting in like, especially like 1920s, Jews from Europe started to go down to Israel. Um, And so in 1948, the UN recognized Israel as a state, so as a country, as a place for Jews to be safe, especially because of after the Holocaust. So what I try and share with people is like, yeah, it is what is does is what Israel does good all the time. No, like I don't agree with everything that they do, but I want people to understand why it's even there. It was a place for Holocaust survivors to live safely. I think that's I mean that's a really important point and I think especially too since we are seeing recently a lot of celebrities yes. and people in the, in the public making comments and I'm wondering do you think a lot of these things are stemming from ignorance yes. and people not understanding what exactly Israel is and not understanding yes. the history of yes a hundred percent like yeah, all the, it was, I don't know what was going on in July, but like their Ice Cube, Deshaun Jackson, Nick Cannon, and most recently Wiley, have, they've yes. been, they've sent out inst- Instagram or tweets just saying really horrible things about Jews. And honestly, I, 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 I think it, they just don't, they don't know. They don't real, they didn't realize. Um, and they need to learn more about Jewish culture and and Jews right exactly I think a lot of and I I feel the same way too with a lot of things it's just like people are saying things I feel about Mm -hmm. racism too it's like a lot of times people say things and they don't understand the context they don't understand the history and they need to really educate themselves and take time to to learn so I mean now now is a great time to to do that but I was also Mm -hmm. wondering too I mean do you feel like given a lot of the recent comments and just the way things are. Do you feel like anti-Semitism has gotten worse in the past few years? Yeah, it's interesting. That, that's a good question. Um, I I think like going back, like look, like zooming out a little bit, I think mm-hmm. um, after the horrors of the Holocaust came out in 1945, I think um, things, it became less accepted to be anti-Semitic, but slowly over time, 
till the present time, I think it has slowly increased to where it is now. Um, um, you know, there was the Tree of Life synagogue shooting in 2018 in right. Pittsburgh. Um, just last December, there was a um, stabbing in Muncie, New York um, at a rabbi's house. That's right. I remember reading yeah, about that. So like slowly there's been these like, I don't know what you call it, episodes of, of anti-Semitic violence. And it's, re- it's really mm-hmm. scary. It, and even just the tweets are, are scary, you know? It's very. It's very intense. And I think it's, it's also something too. I, I mean, I'm obviously I'm not, I'm not Jewish, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm also curious to know, like, how, how do you feel like that affects you in day-to-day life? Because I know for me, for example, as an African-American, a lot of this stuff that I see in the news with police brutality and, and a lot of these, these racial incidents, mm-hmm. it really takes a toll on yeah. you mentally and you really feel like, wow, yeah. I mean, this is still going yeah. on. This is still continuing. So I'm just curious from, from your perspective as a Jewish mm-hmm. person, how do, how does that sort of manifest mm-hmm. itself for you in, in day-to-day life? You know, ever since I learned about the Holocaust, I was like maybe eight or nine. And up until then, I didn't, well, I went, when I was in elementary school, I was the only Jew. So actually since the very beginning, oh, wow. I knew that I was an other and, yes. but it was like, not, I, I just was bummed because I couldn't celebrate Christmas like everybody else. But when I learned <laughs> about the Holocaust, when I was eight or nine, that was the most terrifying piece of information I have to this day ever learned about. Um, and I guess in a way, I'm just, I, I see these tweets or these messages or these horrible acts of violence and it's like, I'm not surprised, which is sad. Maybe I'm like desensitized to it. I'm just like, when, when is this going to end? Like, why are these people doing this? Like, why after thousands of years are Jews still being scapegoated? Why? Why is this still happening? So I, I guess it's, I don't feel, it's scary. You know, I'm not afraid to walk outside. I mean, I don't wear, I, I don't, I think if you saw me, you know, I'm not, I'm not like a religious Jew. I don't like wear anything that would identify me as Jewish. So I don't, I, sure. I, I'm not easily identifiable. So I don't feel scared going out, but you know, it, it's just something to think about. Like, why do people still hate me? Cause I'm Jewish. It's great. It's, it's absurd. Right. <laughs> it's like, haven't we moved right. past this? Can't we just move on to exactly. something else? And I mean, it's it's something you mentioned, too, with a scapegoating mm-hmm. and something that I, I talked about earlier in the episode, too, and, you know, all the way back to, for example, the bubonic yep. plague in Europe, and a lot of Jews were blamed yep. for that, even though Jewish people, you know, of course, got sick exactly. as well, but still, it's like this idea of we have to blame yep. others, and we have to grab the group that looks different or in some way yeah. different, and, and just throw all this stuff on yeah. them. And it's just, you know, it's crazy yeah, that it's still yeah. that type of attitude is, is still continuing. Exactly. So I think that we have our, our work cut out. Um, but I mean, do you feel as as a teacher, mm-hmm. do you feel that we are currently doing a good job in schools educating students? Or what do you think could be better mm-hmm. in sort of, you know, shaping, I guess, the next generation to make sure that they aren't continuing to carry a lot of these backwards ideas about you know race or religion etc i mean i think what's happening now with 
the Black Lives Matter movement and how that is like on, mm-hmm. it's no longer on the back burner, which I feel like it has right. been. Um, I think once schools have moved past COVID and we can focus on curriculum and educating our kids, I, I think teaching children about, and I don't like the word tolerance. That just means you kind of yeah. deal with it. I mean, true, you handle yeah, I mean, like, true acceptance of everyone, no matter what, like you, you cannot judge people or hate people because of what they look like or how they worship like that. It, we need to, I, I think in a lot of schools, children aren't taught about this, you know, the books that they read, they right. all have the fiction books we read, the, the main characters are all white males usually, you know, like that, that, exactly. that needs to change. Um, we, we need to make a big change to expose children to all types of people all the time. I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's definitely like you said, after, you know, after we kind of deal with this whole yeah. COVID thing, I think now yeah. that a lot of these issues are being talked about, finally, I think it's a really mm-hmm. good opportunity yes. for everybody. I mean, teachers and non-teachers alike mm-hmm. to really jump in and educate themselves and also educate uh, other people as well. So exactly. I mean, that's, on the to-do list of course (laughs) Uh, but I mean what do you think people really well not that there's one thing but what do you think there's some things that people just have wrong like what are just some complete misconceptions or things that people just are not learning about or not understanding about uh, everything about the history of anti-semitism about Judaism about all of that yeah um that's a good question I mean, I guess it's sort of like, I'm confused about like, why do people hate Jews? Like, what are we Mm -hmm. doing that you don't like? Like, I still don't really get it. Like, I think for the most part, Jews, and maybe I am stereotyping, which is exactly what I don't want to (laughs) do. But like, we (laughs) generally keep to ourselves, you know, Um, I, I don't, I don't think we make waves. So I, I don't really know what it is that people are, are thinking about Jews. Um, something that I thought was interesting, though, like there's a, you know, there's a lot of stereotypes. And one of them is that Jews are like money hungry or we're, take, we're taking right. over the economy or what, whatever. Um, and one thing I thought was interesting was that in the this goes back to the Middle Ages, um, in Europe, Jews couldn't own land. Okay. Yes. And Christians couldn't loan money for profit. Mm -hmm. So this is when Jews became money lenders. (laughs) Yes. And so like that money idea that Jews are like, oh, we're, we're good with money or we're like cheap or whatever. Like that goes all the way back to a thousand years ago, which is crazy how that it just evolves into this stare this negative stereotype that we have today and I don't think enough people know where it's it started from or why it is why we have these ideas that we have today yeah I think a lot of it dates back to history and people just need to learn I think Mm -hmm. more about history for sure Mm -hmm. and one thing that that you mentioned too you said that you were the only Jewish kid in your school do you feel like 
growing up or or even as an adult, mm-hmm. do you feel like you had a lot of experiences or situations mm-hmm. where you were stereotyped? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I when I when I was the only Jewish kid, it was only until first grade. Um, and okay. I think about I, I think kids didn't even understand what was going on. Um, <laughs> and then I moved right. to a school where I wasn't the only Jew. Um, I. I remember when I went to college, when I went to my first year at Pitt and I met my roommate and, and it, like, it took a couple months and I, I don't know why it came up, but I said, oh, I'm Jewish. And she was from like central Pennsylvania, like country. And she looked at me and she goes, I've never met a Jew before. And she was just staring wow. at me. And I, maybe I, I'm wow. not trying to like make up her internal narrative but I felt like she was waiting for my <laughs> horns to come out or something like, yep. like yeah like hi you've known me for a few months like me being Jewish does that make me any different now to you um, yeah so that was an interesting experience wow. <laughs> yeah I mean I definitely <laughs> I'm sorry I have to I laugh, know but no I, I think but I, I do in a sense get what you're saying because I definitely feel like I had a lot of those experiences too, even even in college, because you know I did go to a mostly white school yeah. where it was just people were like, "Well, I've never seen like anyone that's non-white before. That's you know not not on TV. It's like, whoa, yeah. what are you doing here? Yeah. Like that's crazy. You know, just this pure shock. Yeah, like, wow, people actually still <laughs> people still think that or people. Yes, it's just like, it's just that feeling of being the other. That's very yeah. uncomfortable. And, and a lot of people don't experience that. And it's it's hard. Yeah, it is. I know. Mm. It's, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of crazy things yeah. out there and a lot of crazy experiences for sure. So, yeah, something no, that am. you something that you talked about in an earlier podcast was that question of when people ask you, like, what are you? Where are you from? Yes. And how that's a really, it can be a real, even though it seems like such an easy question for people of color or for me, it's actually a really hard question. Cause I think I know the listeners can't see me, but I think that I might be hard to place. Like I'm not just, I don't just look American or whatever. And I, yeah. I, I struggle with that answer because you, and you would think that, okay, if someone asked me, what are you? my first response would be I'm Jewish. Right. But like, why do I have to answer that question with my religion? What other religion answers a question like that with their religion? You would, you would normally answer, Oh, I'm Italian. Oh, I'm Irish. You know, like who answers with I'm Jewish. So I struggle with that question. And also the idea of is Judaism a race or a religion? Like, or is it both? I, I'm not sure there's one answer, but it's yeah, it's something I struggle with. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point because I, yeah, I mean, I really, I don't even know. <laughs> like my first thought off the top of my head would be, yeah, it's both. But I mean, I, yeah, I don't know what the know. answer is. I think in what you said, you know, I never, I guess I never thought about that, about, yeah, when someone says to you like, oh, who are you? What are you? Where are you from? It's like, yeah, but no other no other religion would be like, yeah, I'm Christian, I'm Buddhist. Or, exactly. Yeah. It's like you usually say, yeah, I'm from Japan. I'm right. From so, yeah, I mean, this is, you bring up some really good, good points, shall we? 
<laughs> I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to think about this. Yeah, <laughs> that's your homework. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's you know, that's one of honestly one of the reasons that I wanted to do this podcast yeah. and have these type of you know dialogues and discussions mm-hmm. because I think it is important. And I think sometimes it's sort of you know, especially as Americans, it's kind of you know we don't like to feel uncomfortable, mm-hmm. awkward, mm-hmm. so we don't really like to put us put ourselves in these situations yeah. where we're talking about you know taboo type yeah. things like race or religion and it's just like ah, you don't do that but I do think it's important to have honest dialogues yeah. and I think even you know I realized too like with a lot of this stuff with uh you know Black Lives Matter and, and whatnot like you know friends were coming to me and like asking me questions and they were like gosh you know I've been dying to ask you this and this but I just didn't know if it was you know appropriate or I just didn't know if you know we could have that type of conversation so yeah I mean I think that's it's important moving moving forward to have an open and honest dialogue so yeah I want to tell you I love your podcast like you you express Aww. these really hard conversations. You have these really hard conversations, but like it's friendly and accessible and it's non-judgmental. Like it's they're really what you're doing is so important and so wonderful. So thank you for doing this. <laughs> oh, I appreciate yeah. that. And I know that you're you're a loyal listener. Yeah. So thank you for thanks for tuning yeah, of in. Of course. And, uh, you know, yeah, I appreciate you coming, coming on and talking about your, your experiences. And, you know, of course, anytime you're welcome to come back anytime. (laughs) Thank you so much for um, allowing me to share my, my thoughts. My pleasure. Okay. Thanks, Shelby. Bye. Okay. It is that time in the episode where we do ask a black friend. Okay, so today's question is, do you think that there's more racism nowadays? And do you feel like you experience more racism now than you did 20 or 30 years ago? Well, I think that's that's an interesting question. I don't know that there is necessarily more racism. I think it's definitely more visible nowadays. I think that particularly when I think about things like police brutality and we have everything is on our phones nowadays and we can record things and then people post it on YouTube or they post it on social media. I think that people are more aware of the type of things that go on. I think that a lot of stuff was still happening, obviously was happening 10, 20, 30 years ago. And obviously stuff was happening when I was growing up as a child. But I think that it is just more talked about and I think that people are more aware of it and it's interesting because when Obama was elected president in 08 and then again in in 2012 I know that some people were saying oh well now we're in a post-racial society we've come a long way we're at a really great point and it's true I think that we have come a really long way and I really particularly seeing a lot of the protests and a lot of the the movements that have sprung up recently over the past couple of months I think that we have really come a long way and I think we see a lot of people getting involved and I think a lot more people becoming active and more people becoming impassioned. But that being said, I really don't think that we're in a post-racial society. I don't know. I really don't think it is, again, necessarily that there's more racism. I just think it's more visual and I think we're more aware of it because we see it and we see what's going on 
And I think that that definitely makes a, a big difference. So I think in that sense, too, it is great that we have things like social media. We have things like iPhones. We're constantly plugged in. So if we're constantly plugged in, at least, you know, we're using it to raise awareness about issues that are going on and to really spread light in a lot of, of things that are happening. So in that sense, it's positive. But yes, again, I think even though we have come a long way, of course, we still have a really, really long way to go. There's still a lot of, of work that needs to be done. And I think that it all takes time. You know, everything is a process. Everything takes time. And all we can do is just continue to, to work hard and continue to fight against racist ideas or racist uh, structural racism and anti-Semitism and and really just continue to to do what we've been doing and do the best that we can. So, yeah, I think that's that's really important. So, as usual, I like to end the episode with a quote. So, this one is from Anne Frank, and she said, "Our lives are fashioned by our choices. First we make choices, then our choices make us." So, yes, I think it's important for us to to remember that our choices are very important, that they have consequences, and of course that they they affect others and affect ourselves as well. So thank you so much again to the fabulous Shelby for sharing her experiences and opinions. And thank you to everyone who tuned in today and who has been continuing to listen to my episodes. I really appreciate it. And also, please don't hesitate to contact me if you have questions or comments or ideas for future episodes, or if you have a question for Ask a Black Friend, I am more than happy to hear it. And I will see you next week.